If you're just joining us uh, this Sunday, um, you're, you're kind of catching us in the middle of a four-week series called God is Near. And, and I love the song we sang a few minutes ago, just talking about, you know, preparing room in your heart for him. And uh, that, that's really what this series is about. God is near. But do we have room for him? And, and so two weeks ago, uh, Jonathan um, asked and answered the question, what's Christmas all about? And uh, he had a little help from Linus to answer that question. But we, uh, we looked at what is Christmas all about? And really it was God is with us. God is with us. He's near. And then last week, um, Alan looked at, you know, what's God like? Like, what are some of the roles that he fulfills in our lives? And one of the things Alan really touched on well was the fact that he's a wonderful counselor. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus is in us to counsel us, to give us wisdom, to strengthen us. Uh, today, what we're going to look at, we're going to kind of ask and answer the question, um, what, what's on God's heart? And, and maybe a better way to say it would be, who's on God's heart? And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Sabbath, he went as usual to the synagogue. And was called upon to read a portion of the prophet Isaiah. of the Lord is upon me because he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and announce that the time has come when the Lord will save his people this passage of scripture has come true today, as you heard it being read. The scripture come true, but only the Messiah can fulfill that promise. We know. Doubtless you will quote the proverb to me. Physician, heal thyself. You'll also say to me, do hear the things in your own hometown that we heard were done in Capernaum. I tell you this, no prophet is ever welcome in his hometown. 
They meant to throw him over the cliff, but he walked through the middle of the crowd and went his way. What would, what would that have been like to be sitting there in the synagogue in Nazareth? And this guy gets up. I mean, it's his hometown, so they all knew him. I mean, they, they knew his parents. They knew his brothers. And, and then, then this guy gets up, and he basically what he was saying was, I am the Messiah. This, this prophecy that was written 700 years earlier, that was written about me, and today it's fulfilled as you're hearing it read by me. I mean, that would be like me standing here today and saying, you know the God that you pray to? That's me. That's what that was like. He stood there before him and he said, that's me. I am the fulfillment of this prophecy that is 700 years old. And here's what I've come to do. Here is who is on my heart. If you have your Bible, look at Luke 4. And we're going to start in verse 14. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, look on the back of your worship guide. You'll find it there. Who's on God's heart? I'm going to read a little bit about what we just saw. But Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, I love that. If, you, if, you've, been, um, if you've read any of this recently... Maybe you've caught it too. How many times uh, the Holy Spirit is on Jesus? Like back when he's, he's about to be baptized, as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So at his baptism, the Holy Spirit comes on him. What happens next? At the beginning of Luke 4, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert where he was tempted for 40 days. What's the next thing that happened? He goes back to Nazareth in the power of the Spirit. Don't miss that. If Jesus, the Son of God, God himself needed the Holy Spirit, what about you and me? Like Alan shared last week, we need the wonderful counselor, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, but we need him to empower us. How do you get there? You get there by surrendering to him. I think recognizing your need for him and just abandoning yourself to him. So he comes in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, and as was, his, as was his custom, he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. There it is again. You know, you and I, we just really don't have any hope of this life working without God's spirit being in control, without us listening to him, without us following his lead in our lives, without us being in here because he wrote this. The author of this book lives in you 
and he can take what was written 2,700 years ago, 2,000 years ago, and apply it to your life today. What need do you have today? He knows what it is. He knows your need. He knows what wisdom you need. He knows what direction you need to head. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Who's on God's heart? How about the poor? I think sometimes we, we're glad Seven Hills is there to care for the poor. And once in a while, maybe around this time of year, we, we give sort of a nod to the poor. I get, the, I, get the, I get the impression that if Jesus showed up in Fayetteville today, I don't know if he'd be here. I, I think he'd be with the poor. But you know what? It's not only the poor materially, it's the poor in spirit. It, it's the needy, the lowly, the humble. Um, as I was preparing for this message and just kind of reading, thinking about, you know, who Jesus came for, this, uh, he tells this parable in uh, Luke chapter 18. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it's starting in verse 9. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, that... that the song we sang a few minutes ago about preparing room in our hearts for him. I wonder if, if sometimes we, we just don't even have enough room for him. Our hearts are full. We, we, don't, we don't have needs. If we do have needs, we, 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 we fill our hearts with something else so that we don't feel the need. But Jesus is saying, I came for that. I came to meet that need. I came for you, the needy, the lowly, the poor, the humble. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Maybe, maybe you haven't been in prison. Maybe you won't be. You're certainly not today. But don't we all kind of get into this prison of sin we're in bondage to wrong choices we're in bondage to those memories that haunt us or maybe the worries about tomorrow 
In Romans 8, Paul wrote, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yesterday's forgiven. There's no more condemnation. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. We're not meant to live in, in bondage anymore as prisoners, as captives to sin. We were set free from it. We, we were forgiven, and so now there's no more condemnation. But we've also been set free from sin's power so that we can live the life God intended, so we can walk according to his ways. Sin is no longer our master now, if you've not come to Christ yet, sin is your master. You have no choice but to sin. It's your nature. I mean, our nature, I mean, you've probably heard people say, well, I believe man is basically good. But if man is basically good, why do we do such bad things? If you're, like a dog's nature is to be a dog. So a, a dog does dog things. A cat has a cat nature, does cat things. A sin nature, we sin. Our nature is basically corrupt. It's not basically good. And a corrupted nature does corrupted things. And a corrupted nature needs to be forgiven. And if you're in Christ, you have been forgiven. So we don't live in that condemnation and we don't, we don't live in that bondage anymore. At least we don't have to. But that's where we need the Holy Spirit, this law of, or this spirit of life who sets us free from that. I think some of us, even though we've been set free, it's like we go back into prison and we shut the door willingly. And we live in the guilt, and we live in the condemnation, we live in the shame. We weren't meant for that. That's why Jesus came. He came for you. If you're struggling with that today, he came for you. He's near for you. And he came for recovery of sight for the blind. You know, I love the fact that um, maybe over the next week or so as, as, as we lead up to Christmas and, and you're looking for something to read in God's word, um, spend time in the Gospels and just look to see who did Jesus, who came to him? Like who gravitated towards Jesus? And who did Jesus gravitate toward? The blind? The lepers? The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. I mean, the blind came to him and he gave them sight. Some of us today, I mean, we see, but we're blind. We don't see the truth. We've allowed maybe what other people have told us to cloud our view of God. Maybe it's something, I mean, I, more and more, this has hit me, um, I guess this year, more and more I just see how you were raised and how that plays into who you are today, for good, for bad. Now, certainly there comes a point where 
okay, you're responsible. You, you, you can't use your past as an excuse forever. But gosh, there's a lot to overcome sometimes. But God wants you to see the truth. He, he doesn't want you to be blind. Blind to the truth of what he's done for you. How he has set you free. He's given you new life. I mean, we, are, we have the privilege of walking in a whole new quality of life. Eternal life doesn't just begin when we die. It begins the moment you trust Christ. You, there's a whole new quality of life then. To release the oppressed. It's interesting, that word oppressed, it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. That's the only spot that it gets used. And it literally means to break into pieces or to shatter. Does your life sometimes feel shattered? Your dreams are broken, your plans are broken, your relationship is broken. He came to release you from that. Somehow, I mean, think, think about these families in Connecticut this morning. Their lives are shattered. What was, I mean, what was that like to hear that your first grader was shot and killed at school? 10 days before Christmas? You talk about a shattered life. You talk about a shattered dream. I mean, I've, I've said it before. I said it a few weeks ago. I mean, I love this time of year, but I know that's not the case for everyone. And, and think about these families now. Where, where, is, where is God in all that? Like, why didn't God stop that? Have you asked that? Have you thought that? Why didn't God stop that shooter? Some of your kids have already been asking this morning about that in their classrooms. So you as a parent, how are you going to handle that? How are you going to answer, ask those, or answer those questions that they ask? Why didn't God stop that shooter? Why didn't God stop 9-11? Why didn't God stop Pearl Harbor or all of World War II? Or the young woman who gets raped? Or the drunk driver who kills a family of four? Why doesn't God stop those things? Is he good? Does he care? Can he even see what's happening? I mean, do you want... I mean, how, you know, and, and here's what doesn't help people. Well, God must have wanted those children in heaven. You know, I mean, I think sometimes when, when we haven't wrestled with the hard things and, and we don't have a, a sound theology, we come up with silly answers like that. Well, God must have just wanted them in heaven. How do you answer that question, though? 
I mean, we need to be prepared to give a defense for what we believe. Now, God is big enough to take care of himself, okay? He doesn't need me to defend him. But I think sometimes our culture looks at us, maybe your coworkers or your neighbor, or your friend or your roommate say, where is God when evil happens? Why doesn't he stop it? If your God is so good, why doesn't he do something? How are you going to answer that? Because you know what? All this is just a big joke or it's true. And if it's true, how do we defend this? How do we defend what we believe? When evil happens, where is God? Here's what I think. And I've wrestled with this over the last year or so. God honors our choices. He doesn't demand his own way, and he doesn't make you do anything. But he offers, he offers life. Oh, that's interesting. That's your name. He offers life. But he lets us choose. He doesn't make us do life his way. And, and if God is supposed to stop the shooter and, and the terrorist and the drunk driver, then he should stop me from going over the speed limit. Right? Because every wrong thing I do could lead to something tragic. If I didn't go over the speed limit, I might not have had to swerve and cause that accident. He should stop all of us from texting while we drive, right? He should stop you before you say any unkind word to anyone. He should stop you before you act selfishly. I mean, where does it end? If we want God to step in and stop us every time something bad is about to happen, where does it end? And, and, and should he just stop the sins of commission or the ones of omission, the things that we don't do. Like I should have, uh, instead of taking a nap, I should have spent time with my family yesterday. Okay, if I had done that, they would have been better off someday. Maybe they were better off with me sleeping for two hours, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, you know, where does it stop? If we want God to step in every time something bad's about to happen, he'd have to stop us all the time. But that's where I think he lets us choose. He, God really honors our choices. He has set this life up so you get to choose life or you get to choose death. You can choose to walk according to his ways or you and I can choose to go our own way. And he doesn't make us do it his way. But he comes to the poor and the lowly, and the humble, those who want him. It's like the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the ones that were confident in their own righteousness. I'm not saying he didn't come to them, but he didn't gravitate toward them. And when he did, it was to confront their self-righteousness. Who did he come to? He came to those with a need. Those who recognize their neediness. I wonder if the best thing that can happen to us sometimes is, is to have an unmet need. Because when I have everything I need and my heart feels full, 
maybe I don't prepare room for him. And I don't really desire him as much as I should. But when there's an unmet need, when I recognize that I'm poor and lowly and I can't make it without him, then I desire him. You know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, Jesus quoted um, Isaiah 61. And, uh, but he didn't quote the whole thing. He stopped. He, he didn't read the whole passage. This is uh, Psalms, or, uh, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That was the rest of verse 2. He sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's where Jesus stopped. Jesus put a period there. But the rest of that verse was, and the day of vengeance of our God and then to comfort all who mourn. The day of vengeance. I think it's interesting that he stopped after the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I think we live in an age of grace and mercy right now. The day of vengeance is coming. When things like happened the other day, that will be made right. I'm glad we live in a universe where there's a God in control ultimately who is just and righteous and holy and evil gets punished. There is a day of vengeance. But for now, Jesus came and said, I came for you, the lowly, the poor, the humble, the oppressed, those who have shattered lives and dreams. I came for you. I'm near I am with you. And he held out life. And we get to choose whether or not we'll accept that gift. Again, going back to the deal in Connecticut. I mean, what guarantees do we have that something like that doesn't happen again? I mean, it's happened, I read something the other day. I think there have been 31 school shootings in the United States, 14 in the rest of the world. Why is that? Could it be that when we tell God we don't want you in school, he listens? You ever thought God wants to be wanted? God, that's different than God needing us. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need your love. He doesn't need your praise. He doesn't need mine. If God had a need, then that would mean I kind of have something that he needs. That would almost put me on equal footing with him. He has no needs. But he has wants. In fact, we're going to look at that next week. Next week, we're going to do something really different than anything we've ever done before. Uh, you won't want to miss it. We're going to have the kids in the service with us. And we're going, to, we're going to ask the question, what does God want for Christmas? 
If you have family in town next week, it'll be a great time to invite them, especially if, if maybe some family members don't know Christ, because there'll be a really clear, um, creative way uh, that, that we will present the gospel, and they will be given an opportunity to trust Christ. But God doesn't have needs, but he does have wants. And he wants you. And he wants to be wanted. And he waits to be invited. I mean, think about it. Why do we pray? Why doesn't God just do whatever he wants to anyway? Could it be that he waits to be invited into your circumstances? And if you don't invite him, he doesn't push his way in. He's not demanding. The band's going to come up and, and we're going to do one more song. And I, I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you... Maybe you're feeling, um, you're feeling broken and poor and like some dreams have been shattered. And you're, you're ready for him. You're, you've prepared room in your heart for him. I would encourage you to use this last song just to connect with him. Express that you need him and you want him. Invite him in to whatever circumstances you're facing. And the good news is this. No matter what you go through, when you have his spirit in you, and, and, and he's in control of you, you get peace and joy as part of that equation. So no matter what you go through, now I, today, I don't need the peace and the grace that those parents in Connecticut have. My circumstances aren't like them today. But if they turn to Christ, if they trust him, he meets that need for peace and comfort. And that's our only hope. I mean, there is no guarantee that something bad isn't going to happen in our lives. But when it does, and you're in relationship with Christ, you experience him in a way you don't at another time. Because he's near to the brokenhearted and those that are shattered and oppressed and the captives and the blind. Father, we, we thank you uh, that you are near. Jesus, you came near, and you're near today. And you, you desire us, and you want us to desire you. And so I pray that you will draw us close. If nothing else, just help us be aware of the fact that we are poor, and we're needy, Help us to be humble. Help us to not be confident in our own righteousness. Help us to just recognize our great need and desire for you. Amen.